Welcome to the Serialized Short Story Podcast, Secrets Out, by Christopher Chapman. Secrets Out is performed by the author. You can pre-order Secrets Out as an ebook that will play on Kindle, Nook, Kobo, and any iDevice you can get your hands on by going to goingpostalpublishing.com and clicking on the store link. Listener discretion is advised. There are adult situations, violence, and naughty words your mother wouldn't want you repeating to your neighbor. And now, the story continues. Thank you for going postal with me. This is the Going Postal cast. I am author Christopher Chapman, and we are today going to do The Confession Part 2. Of course, this is all part of Secrets Out a short story collection that you can pre-order by going to goingpostalpublishing.com. Before we get into the story, I want to address the fact that the sound quality on this particular story is not up to par. It, I have not mastered perfection on, my, on some of my stories, and this one in particular has a lot of slurring. The slurring itself has a little bit of distortion to it, I'm not exactly sure why it's doing that. I have a feeling that it has something to do with the noise removal process that I'm doing. I don't exactly have a top-notch system for doing silent recordings with no noise around. The room that I'm doing this in right now actually has some noise coming from a different room. I remove all of that in post, but sometimes when I do that, it takes a little bit out of some of my actual voice. I'm going to be building a better area to be recording in this summer, and I'm thinking by the time I get down to uh, recording the football story, a lot of the problems should be resolved. This is the reason why there is no pre-order for the audiobook of Secrets Out, because it's a little bit inconsistent in quality between stories, But I want to share the stories with you, and I believe that sharing the stories is more important than giving you nothing at all. I believe that getting these stories out is of vital importance, and after Daddy's Little Girl and having to cancel that book despite having a whole crap ton of it done, including an audiobook, I felt as if that getting the stories out there, letting you know what the short story collection was all about, and giving you a good enough idea to determine whether or not you'd want to purchase or share these stories with a friend. I hope I covered everything, and I hope I wasn't too down on myself here. I do strive to make this better, and I'm going to do everything, and I'm open to suggestions. You can send me suggestions on how I can improve this, to goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. But, for now, let's get into the confession. This is the confession part two. This is the last part of the confession. We will be off for the next couple of weeks, and we'll be back bright and early in early March. I'll talk about that story briefly after the episode, after the story. So here it is, the confession part two. Father Pat's forehead found its way into the palm of his hands. Why had he been expecting these very words? Murder wasn't supposed to be something that you could expect, even in Green Bay. 
Yet here he found himself, having expected a man to admit to some heinous crime. What was the world becoming? Worse yet, what was he becoming? Was he really going to start thinking that some people were going to be confessing some of the most god-awful crimes in existence? Of course he wasn't. Somehow this guy had found his way under his skin. He was like a tick, siphoning off his blood a little at a time. I don't really know why I did it, the man continued. He sounded almost sincere. I guess that I had felt some sort of adrenaline rush after what happened the night before. I found myself returning to the moments they died over and over again in my mind. I found their deaths to be almost exhilarating. I really don't know if there's any real way of explaining it. Try, Father Pat found himself saying. He was putty in this guy's hands, being molded at will. He was finding himself wanting to hear the rest of the story. Was that wrong? Yes, it was. Every time I thought about what I'd done, my heart would start racing a mile a minute, the man said. I took a nap shortly after leaving here and had a dream about doing it all over again. I realized that murder was the most exciting thing I've ever done. That's why I did it again. I was on my way home from work when I saw this pretty little thing on the corner of University in Washington. I don't really know what she was supposed to be, but I thought that she looked an awful lot like a Las Vegas prostitute. She was dressed all fancy, yet looked like she didn't have one ounce of class. It was depressing, really. I parked the car and asked her if she wanted a ride. She said that she did. She slid into the passenger seat and we were off. When I asked her where it was she wanted me to take her, she told me that I could take her wherever I wanted as long as I had 50 bucks. You see, I was right about her. She was some sort of mid-morning prostitute. My instincts were completely right about her. I imagine the way that my instincts are about you. Father Pat said nothing to this. His eyes were still covered by his hands and were now protecting the tears that had started trickling from the corners of his eyes. He wanted this to be over, yet he wanted the story to go on. We parked at Fisk Park, the man continued. You might want to remember that when you watch the news tonight. Anyways, I parked the car and soon my cock was in her. Pardon my language, father. It was then that I grabbed hold of her and started to squeeze the life out of her. I was treating her like the pimple she was and tried to squeeze the pus out of her miserable existence of a life. Father Pat could feel his anger start to rise, but tried to remain silent. He didn't know if he could for much longer. She was kicking and punching me, trying desperately to get away, but I held on, the man continued. The greatest thing was that my dick was still in her while this was going on. Her thrashing was working against my Johnson in all the right ways. It would be a strange coincidence that she died at the very moment I came. Man, that was an awesome feeling. Ha! You left DNA! Father Pat shouted much too loud. Anybody that was in the church would have heard that. The man started to laugh again. <laughs> You're such a fool, he said. I was wearing a condom. Do you really think that I'm stupid enough to leave behind evidence? Hell no. I'm very careful in everything that I do. I'm even willing to bet that the cops don't even realize that this crime could somehow be connected to the crimes from the night before. The police here aren't that smart. You will get caught sooner or later, Father Pat said, although without much conviction. 
He wanted the man to leave. He felt as if he were being toyed with, and that wasn't a very good feeling to have. The police will figure it out, and you'll be arrested. We'll see, the man said indifferently. It didn't sound like he cared one way or another. Thank you for listening to me. You have no idea just how much you've helped me the last two days. The words came out even before he had time to think about it. No problem. I'll be seeing you around, he said. Oh, I almost forgot. I wanted to give my condolences for your friend. You know, the one that jumped off the mall. Father Pat was out of his seat and tossed open the door. He turned and grabbed hold of the handle to the other room, pulling it open with ease. He looked inside, ready to fight whoever it was that was in there. He was surprised when he was looking down at an empty chair. He backed out and turned towards the exits. He saw a man nearing the exit, walking at a fairly good pace. He seemed to be of average height and had brown hair. That's all he could see. He wanted to chase after the man, but decided that a man in a large robe was no match for somebody without. He placed his hands against the sides of his head and let out a frustrated cry. He wanted to know who was tormenting him. He saw Bonnie Miller, one of his parishioners. Bonnie, did you happen to see who came out of there? Father Pat asked, pointing towards the confessional. Yeah, I did, she said slowly. She was nearly 80 years old and wasn't going to be hurried along by anybody. You did. Did you see anybody else? No, Father Pat. I've been sitting here for the last 15 minutes. And the only one I've seen is you. Great, he thought, with the frustration starting to seep into his mind. He'd been hoping that he would be able to put a name with the voice. An 80-year-old Mrs. Miller was going to be absolutely no help. He would look for others. He talked to four other people in the course of the next half hour. All of them responded with the same answer. None of them saw anybody but him leave the confessional. How is he doing this? Father Pat asked out loud as he left Aaron Snyder. He was as frustrated as he'd been in his entire life and knew that he was starting to show it to the others. He couldn't do that. He was a priest and needed to act as such, even if it meant bottling up the frustration that he felt. Any other time, before yesterday, he would have simply gotten down on his knees and prayed for God to take his frustration away. He found today that he wasn't really in the praying mood nor was he believing that God would do as he requested. Then again, it wasn't God's job to take away his frustration. It was his. He was the one that was letting this crazy man get to him and would need to be the one that ultimately put the frustration behind him. Father Pat went home promptly at five. He turned on the television shortly before six, wanting to watch the news. He needed to see what was said about the murder. He hoped that the police would have some lead as to what happened. Then he wouldn't have to worry about the crazy man coming around and confessing another murder to him. The news would turn out to be not all that good. There was a small story in which the police were investigating the death of a woman near Fisk Park. No other information was being given at the time. Father Pat could feel himself getting angry, but thought that this might not be as bad as he thought. The police may not have been giving information because they may have had the lead that would take them right to the front door of the madman that had been confessing his crimes. Another thought was beginning to run through Father Pat's mind. He knew that he couldn't talk to the police about what was said during the confession. That would result in excommunication. 
He couldn't allow that to happen. There wasn't anything that said he couldn't leave an anonymous tip and point the police in the right direction. He picked up his telephone, then set it back down. He couldn't call from his own phone. Nearly everybody, including the police, had caller ID. They would instantly know that it was him calling and would have an officer over to take a statement before the hour was up. If he was going to go through with this, he would need to do so from another phone. There was a payphone located across the street, which coincidentally happened to be overlooking Fisk Park. Why hadn't he said something about that while the madman was talking to him? That was an easy answer. He didn't want the man to know just how close he'd been to where he lived. Then again, it seemed possible that he committed his atrocity so close to where he lived as some sort of statement. He walked out of his building and crossed the street to the payphone. He dialed a hotline number that he'd stored from memory and waited for somebody to answer. When somebody did, he told them that the man that had committed three murders was confessing at St. Anthony's Catholic Church after these crimes. He hung up the phone and raced back into his apartment before a squad car could get a good look at who was making the call. Taking this action made Father Pat feel a little bit better. Although he hadn't felt like praying that morning, he felt good enough to give prayer just then. He got down on his knees and gave a long, thoughtful prayer. Afterwards, he thought of it as his finest prayer, in which all of his best feelings and emotions had come out in a wave. He was at peace. Father Pat wasn't all that surprised to find that there was a police car sitting out front of the church when he arrived the following morning. He'd half expected it, and was relieved that they were taking his tip seriously. Now, all he had to do was tell a small lie to an officer and wait to see if the madman showed up. He doubted that he would with the officer stationed there. Then again, it was entirely possible that he wouldn't be staying all that long after he heard what a certain priest had to say. He'd barely gotten into his robes when a man in black pants and a white shirt popped into the office to see him. Father Pat, my name is Ben Wagner of the Green Bay Police Department, he said. We had an anonymous tip about a man coming in here to confess a few crimes that he committed over the course of the last couple of days. Father Pat smiled as he said, I'm sorry, officer, but you know that I cannot give you that information. I'm bound by the laws of the church and cannot tell you anything that was said to me in confession. Only God and I are privileged to that. The officer's face turned from polite to angry in a matter of seconds. He walked close to Father Pat, close enough so that Father Pat could smell that he'd been eating something with garlic at some point in the recent past. You're going to let a murderer get away with it because of some rules that a church made probably 500 years ago? The officer snarled. We are living in different times with different rules. We have to all work together if we're to help this city, this state, and this country. My apologies, Officer Wagner. Father Pat said with a smile. I'm not trying to get you angry, but I cannot help you in the way you need. You're more than welcome to stick around and see if there's anything else that I can help you out with. I just cannot tell you what a man confesses. I have to be going. I have confession to take. He walked slowly towards the cross overlooking the church. He turned around briefly and saw that the police officer wasn't going anywhere. He had taken a seat and was looking out over the church with eyes that seemed to take everything in. He's a good police officer, 
he thought, and continued his routine. Much of the day passed with no sign of the man that had killed those three people. Father Pat suspected that it was because of the police officer that had taken position just inside of the entrance. Father Pat had confirmed on two occasions that he was still there. On his way to take a bathroom break, he'd made sure to walk just enough in the cop's direction so that he could catch a glimpse of whether or not he was still sitting there. He had been each time, and he had been talking to members of the church. It was almost half past four when the door to the confessional swung open, and a man sat down. Father, forgive me, for I have sinned, the familiar hoarse voice spoke. Father Pat's heart jumped with excitement and fear. He was horribly afraid of this man, yet he found himself excited that the police officer... Wait a second. If he had come in, didn't it seem logical that he would have waited until the police officer had left? Of course. That's what had to have happened. All of this for nothing, he thought. Well, at least he hadn't told the police officer anything that would have gotten him in trouble with the church. But for now, he had to deal with the crazy, murderous man that was sitting a mere two feet away with nothing more than cheap wood and some screen between them. What have you done now? Father Pat asked. He was surprised to find that he was crying. You've talked, the man said as if it were a matter of fact. You're going to be in big trouble. I did no such thing, Father Pat said through the tears. Somebody else must have overheard you telling me. Cut the shit, the man snapped. There was a real edge to his voice. This man was angry. Pardon my language, Father, but I think that we both know better. You were outside of your house using the payphone while you have a perfectly good phone in your living room. You've been to my house? Father Pat asked as horror filled his veins. He held his hands out in front of him and saw that they were shaking uncontrollably. He tried to steady himself, but found his efforts useless. What were you doing in my house? The same thing that you were doing outside of your house, the man said. His voice had lost its edge, and subsequently sounded much calmer. I had a phone call to make. Do you really think that you're the only one who can tip off the police? Why would you call the police? Father Pat asked. Are you... are you turning yourself in? There was a long silence in which Father Pat assumed that the man wasn't going to reply. Everything had gone silent from that side, and he was finally sorry for what he'd done. Suddenly, the man began to speak. What he said shook the entire foundation of what Father Pat had believed in. Dream and reality would form together in a soup that bared no name. I turned in the true murderer, the man said. I turned you in before you could kill anybody else. Me? What have I done? Let's not get over dramatic here, the man said. His voice was as calm as Father Pat had heard, and he was still in full control of this conversation. Father Pat felt powerless against him, knowing that this story would be told one way or another. I want you to really think about some things here. Tell me something. What were you doing on the night that the Thorntons died? That's easy, Father Pat said. I went home after Mass and he trailed off. There wasn't much that he could tell about that night. He had been feeling overtired that night and had decided to go to bed early. 
He wasn't exactly sure when the murders had taken place, but suspected that they had occurred while he was asleep in bed. I was watching television. You lie, the man said. You were asleep, or so you thought. Now, tell me about what happened with Stuart Chandler. You have to know something about that. He didn't. He had no idea what he was talking about. Stuart Chandler had died sometime during the day of their first encounter. He had died by jumping off the parking structure located next to the old Port Plaza Mall. He hadn't been anywhere near him, yet he thought that there was some vague memory in his mind of talking to Stuart once more on that day. It was then that he realized that this wasn't even what the man was asking. He was most likely asking about the conversation they'd had during confession. Stuart was upset and I tried to calm him down, Father Pat told the man. There was nothing more that I could do. That's bullshit, the man said with a little anger coming back. Don't you find it strange that I was able to piece together the fact that Stuart Chandler's death was somehow intertwined with something that had happened to you previously? Don't you find it strange that the woman that was killed the next morning was found no more than a hundred yards away from your apartment? Even stranger yet, don't you find it strange that I knew where you lived? You followed me? Father Pat asked. He was very afraid. No, the man replied. Why would I do that when I'm a part of you? One more question. Aren't you the least bit curious how I was able to get out of this room so quickly when you tried to find out who I was? I mean, come on. It was two seconds at the very most. I saw you, Father Pat said, but his words had lost all authority. Had he really seen the man? He was no longer sure. What you saw was the back of somebody's head as he tried to get out of here. Because you were as crazy as an asylum patient, the man said with a hint of laughter. You keep trying to get around this, but we keep coming back to the fact that you created me. I'm everything that you wish you could be. I have all of the characteristics that you wish you could show. It was like this since college. You wanted one thing, but your dad wanted you to do something for God. That's where I stepped in. I went one way while you became that shell of a man that you undoubtedly see every morning when you look in the mirror over your bathroom sink. You, you're lying, Father Pat said, but was finding this man more and more believable with every passing second. Had things really gone this far? Had his faith in God wavered to the point where he essentially became two people? He didn't know the answer to either question. Am I? Yes, you said that you called the police. Yes, I did. Do you remember what you did after that little bathroom break this morning? The one just after you woke up? He didn't offhand. He normally wouldn't remember a whole lot until he woke up a little more. You called the police and told them that a certain priest may have some information as to what happened during those murders. Father Pat closed his eyes and thought about the murders. He found that he could picture them quite well. He could see every detail of the Thorntons, including how he put them together so that the police would assume that it was them having sex when they were attacked. He could see that woman at the park. 
He could see the way she struggled underneath his grip, although he couldn't feel anything against his penis. He found that oddly strange, but brushed it off for the moment. He could even see something about Stuart Chandler, as if he was there when Stuart jumped. He was beginning to wonder if Stuart jumped at all. He was starting to wonder if he'd been pushed. Everything that this man was saying was starting to come together like a puzzle. For the first time, he was really starting to believe this man, if he existed at all. He was starting to believe that there was more to him than he'd known. Perhaps he really was two people, using the dark part of himself to do all of the things that he'd never done before but wished that he could do. He didn't truly believe that he'd always wanted to commit murder, but still found the idea intriguing. There was one way of proving whether or not this man was telling the truth. He would look through the netting and see the face on the other side. If he saw a face that was his own, he would know for sure. Even if he saw nothing, he would know. Seeing a stranger would prove that this may have all been some sort of weird joke. He slowly bent towards the netting that separated them. He moved his eyes as close to the netting as possible, so that he could see better through it. He could see the inside of the other half of the confessional. He wasn't at all surprised to find the room empty. I did do it, he whispered to nobody. He truly believed it. There was no way that he could allow himself to go free. Even if he were two different people, he couldn't allow that half to dictate what he did. He would turn himself in, and that would end any more chances of him committing murder or helping talk somebody off the wrong side of a ledge. He threw open the door and stumbled out into the church. His eyes scanned the congregation, which consisted of three people, and found the man that he'd been looking for. He walked towards Officer Ben Wagner of the Green Bay Police Department, shouting, I confess, I did it, I killed those people. The other members of the congregation stopped and watched him as he passed and continued towards the police officer. The officer was heading towards him with his cuffs out and a frightened look on his face. It was an expression that said, If a priest can commit murder, what in the hell is this world coming to? Father Pat smiled at this. Officer Wagner slapped the handcuffs on Father Pat's wrists and made sure they were nice and tight. He was reading the Miranda rights from memory, but Father Pat paid no attention. His eyes had focused on the plaster Jesus hanging from the cross. He kept saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, in a whisper that he was sure that the officer couldn't hear. The last thing he saw as he was being pulled out the door was the door of the confessional. He had personally saw the addition of the locks two years ago in which a little sign was placed on the outside that told you whether or not somebody was inside. Green meant that it was vacant, while red told you that somebody was inside. It was just like the portable toilets that you'd see at the outdoor events. The sign was red. Did that mean somebody had been in there all along? No, that was impossible. Officer Wagner gave Father Pat one final tug as he stepped out of St. Anthony's Catholic Church for the final time. As he did, the sign on the confessional changed from red to green, and the door slowly opened.
there you have it. That was The Confession Part 2, part of the Secrets Out short story collection. I'm not going to waste a whole bunch more of your time. I'm just going to do quick promotions. So if you don't want to listen to the promotion, stop the podcast now and move on with your day. Otherwise, I'm going to just quickly tell you about the different ways you can follow me or help out. You can go to goingpostalpublishing.com. I already told you I told you about that at the beginning of the episode. We have the email, goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. Send me your questions, your comments, your cheap shots. Send me suggestions. Facebook is facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub. I have another podcast. Haven't been doing a lot of episodes lately. There have been some scheduling conflicts between Drew and I. But that is the Naked Bootleg Podcast. You can find that on iTunes as well. If you want to help out this podcast in a way that is not sending money, you can do so by going to iTunes and leaving a review. Especially if you actually like the stories, if you like the effort that I am putting in, by all means go there, leave a nice couple of words, and just tell the people going to iTunes that you actually like this product and that you recommend it to them. And if you have nothing nice to say, do what your mother always said and don't say anything at all. Of course, I can't stop you, but if I find you, I will do what Liam Neeson says in that one movie. I will find you and I will kill you. Okay, okay, don't be going and calling the cops on me or nothing. I'm just joking around. I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to do what I learned watching wrestling for all these years. I'm going to find a steel chair, because steel chairs solve everything. So that's it for February. We will be back in March for I Am Villain. It is a story about a supervillain. It is very good. I love that story. It is one of my favorites. It is so good, I have written it twice on two separate occasions because I could not find the original notebook that I wrote it down in years ago. I typed it all up, and once you know it, probably about three weeks after I typed it all up, from best I could from memory, it's no sooner did I type that all up, and then a few weeks later, boom, I find the notebook. I read through it, and it was actually not too bad, the original version, but I like this version better. It's been edited a little bit, tweaked over the last couple of years, and it is excellent. You will be hearing that in just a couple short weeks. But until next time, thank you for going postal with me, and I will talk to you all very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing.